Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, March 3rd, 2023. And this week, gig workers get fired, deaths on the rise, and robots aiding drivers. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And of course, from Legal Rideshare, I'm joined by the co-founder, and lead attorney Bryant Greeting. Bryant, happy Friday. Happy Friday, my friend. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. We had a we had a fun time last week. We did uh, a cool that cool segment about uh, you know how to make money after an accident. But it's always it's good to go back to the basics sometimes. Right. Let's go back to what we know, which is uh, <laughs> what's going on in the rideshare world, and, <laughs> and, and we're happy to do it. Exactly. So speaking of which, let's let's get started. We're going to head off into Monday. Um, there was a driver strike at LaGuardia, and this is from CB News. They reported, quote, Mohammed, a father of three, is one of thousands of drivers uh, who was planning to go on strike at the airport on Monday. He said, quote, we're striking to get our raise back. TLC gave us the raise and Uber blocked it, took TLC to the court and won the case. Uh, so drivers are demanding their full raise for operating costs, a stop to unfair driver deactivations, uh, more for out-of-town trips, and 85% of their fare or the full TLC rate. Um, so, Brian, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but I, I guess this is the best thing they can do is to fight back. Yeah, they have to keep fighting. You know, when I hear the this story, I think there's kind of two lanes. One is it's just really unfair. These drivers were promised a raise. They were promised certain benefits, and then it was pulled away from them. So, I mean, that really sticks. It's they they had an expectation because um, there were some uh, laws that were passed, and and then all of a sudden those uh, those benefits were gone. Um, so we sympathize with with drivers in New York for that reason. But then I also think that there's a bigger picture story here, which is just you know drivers are getting fed up with low pay, uh, the fact that expenses like wear and tear on their cars, gas. Things like that are not accounted for in uh, in the base pay, um, and they're starting to demand change. So what we're seeing in New York is just the first, or I shouldn't even say the first, it's one of many um, actions that drivers are taking. We're seeing these things pop up in New York, in Chicago, in LA, and, and literally everywhere in between. Um, so the driver frustration, driver um, aggravation is really starting to boil. Um, and I think we're going to start hearing stories like this um, become more and more commonplace around the country. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, like you said, my takeaway from this is, in a lot of ways, this is the beginning. I think the number of strikes is going to increase. I think the number of drivers participating in strikes is going to increase because just like this article says, look, they, they won the raise and it was pulled away from them. You know, so I, I can't see this slowing down at all. Um, but as always, you know, we'll see we'll see how this goes. So we're gonna head into Tuesday. Uber and Lyft are more likely to deactivate drivers of color. Now this is from Wired, and they reported, quote, Jordan, who estimated that he earned about eight thousand to ten thousand per month as an Uber driver, uh, he appealed the company to the company multiple times, you know, frantically emailing to try to get his account reinstated, but was told that his deactivation was final. And one of the reasons it was deactivated, one customer alleged that Jordan had tried to hit her with his car. But in response, he offered to send Uber footage from his dash cam to prove the incident hadn't occurred. But in his words, they weren't interested in that. 
what's really uh, fascinating and, and set, tragic, uh, you know, of the 810 drivers surveyed, 69% of non-white drivers said they had to had either faced either permanent or temporary deactivation, as opposed to only 57% of white drivers. Uh, drivers who didn't speak English or were not entirely proficient in English were also much more likely to have their accounts deactivated. Uh, pretty, pretty insane stuff. Yeah, you know, deactivations are something that we um, obviously hear about all the time being in the rideshare space. And it's one of the biggest issues that gig workers face. Um, many people put their entire lives into the hands of these gig companies. And then when those opportunities are pulled away from them, they're left with nothing. Um, so, you know, we hear from drivers all the time that get deactivated from Uber or Lyft or Grubhub or, you know, you name it. And there's just no avenue for challenging the deactivation. There's no due process as we're seeing in this story. And the rideshare companies and gig companies are just not interested in hearing drivers out. Now that we're seeing uh, data that there's a racial component to it, it's, it's even more um, despicable. Um, you know, I think that we've seen uh, situations where uh, drivers have been deactivated because facial recognition um, in terms of their, uh, you know, checking identities uh, for, through the apps, uh, they don't see people of color the same way that they see uh, Caucasian people. Um, that's bullshit. Uh, that drivers are being deactivated because of cultural differences, maybe a, a difference in um, ability to understand uh, whether it's uh, communicating with one another or just kind of a difference in how, uh, you know, one person may interact with another one kind of customs and, um, you know, rituals and things like that. That's ridiculous. Like we need to get the subjectivity out of this and have it be a defined set of rules. This is what a de how, why you could be deactivated. Um, and anything other than that, you're going to have your job. Um, you know, people who work in an office, they know the rules and they've got an HR department that they can go to if there's an issue. People that work in rideshare and gig work, the companies just make the unilateral decision that we're going to take away your job and these people are left high and dry. And it's just, I get frustrated because I hear these stories all the time and, it, you know, something needs to change. Yeah, I mean, it, it I mean, just look at that number. It's 69% of non-white drivers and then 57% of, of white drivers. I mean, imagine any other industry where your chance of losing your, you know, independent contractor status, maybe say a construction worker, plumber, was up to 70%. No one would do it. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. It's just unbelievable to me. And I, I agree. Yeah. And there's, there are resources for drivers out there. You know, there's the website deactivationhelp.com where drivers can, you know, try to challenge their, um, their deactivation. But at the end of the day, these rideshare companies are the ultimate decision makers. And we need there to be more accountability and more clearly stated rules as to what is, uh, I guess, actionable conduct, what gets you deactivated, um, and what doesn't. And until we have those rules clearly defined, the subjectivity is just going to drive everybody crazy and there's going to be really dire effects for the, you know, the working class. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it changes. As we always say, you know. We have to wait and see, but change needs to happen. Uh, we're going to head to Wednesday. Um, some more unfortunate news. Pedestrian deaths continue to rise, and this is from Automotive News. <clears throat> they add uh, pedestrian deaths in the U.S. rose 5% in the first half of 2022, 
which averaging about 19 fatalities per day. Now, this uh, data comes from the analysis by the Governor's Highway Safety Association. So drivers struck and killed over 3,400 people in the first six months of 2022, which is an increase of 168 deaths from the same period a year earlier. Um, 2021 already marked a 40-year high in pedestrian deaths. Now, I, I got to ask, ask you, Brian, and I could be wrong on this, but with the micro-mobility increase, are those people technically considered pedestrians? Let's say they get off the scooter and get hit. How does that, is that, is that playing a role in here at all? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that a scooter rider is going to be considered a pedestrian, but, um, you know, certainly if they get off the scooter and that's when the accident happens, that, that could certainly be a pedestrian, uh, you know, tally mark. Um, but what I think we're really seeing here is, you know, as people become more distracted in their cars, pedestrians and bicyclists and scooter riders and other motorists are all more at risk. You know, as we see screens in, in cars becoming way more commonplace, you look at the size of a Tesla screen, you know, it's impossible for drivers to not be somewhat distracted. Um, you know, I, I'm concerned with uh, the fact that, you know, technology in vehicles is becoming um, more distracting Drivers' eyes are taken off the road, and you know, frankly, the the community is is more at risk. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate you know the the luxury of the technology, but we've got to figure out ways to make sure that people are watching where they're driving, so that everybody stays safe. Yeah, I I, I just saw this. I wish I knew exactly where it was. I think it was um, a, a car show or a kind of a, a futurist um, showcase. But uh, they showed its TV screen drop down from a, you know, a future smart car. I mean, it was the size of a table. And now I, now I understand it's going to go in the it's the argument is, OK, well, that's for the backseat passengers. But you can't tell me that's not going to be distracting when that thing is blasting flashing lights right behind the driver's seat. So, yeah, I, I agree. There's we're in this like really weird dichotomy of all these great gadgets and, and tablets and cars, but the cars don't drive themselves. So. There's distraction, which is like I, said. I, I think that's a good point. You know, the, it's like they're made for self-driving cars before the self-driving cars are made. Yeah. You know, the the entertainment that's in whether it's you know like a screen, a touch screen where you're changing your music, or you know, up to a video screen like you're talking about. You know, the distractions are just too plentiful, um, and there's more important things to be doing than looking at a screen when you're driving a multi-ton. Uh, you know, bullet down the road. Right, exactly. Um, so we're going to head off to Thursday here. Discarded e-scooters are posing some dangers. Now, this is from BBC. They reported, quote, Miss Gayton, a street access campaigner for the National Federation of the Blind, and this is in the UK, said uh, in a visit to Newcastle er earlier this month, she found scooters were creating, quote, obstru obstructions for any blind, visually impaired, older or disabled people, she also said she experienced a lot of riders riding down the pavements, which was, uh, you know, frightening. Um, now, Neuron Mobility, the firm responsible for the scooters, said it is working with disability groups to promote safer streets and offered an online riding school for users. But they also did add that reports of bad parking were dealt with swiftly, but it's impossible to eliminate bad parking and riding entirely. This is an interesting article 
because it's actually focused on something that I haven't seen. We, we've heard about the scooters littering the streets, but there was never really focused on what if, if you are visually impaired or have a disability. Yeah, it, it is interesting because I can tell you as somebody who, who sees okay, you know, I wear glasses, but I, I can see fine. I'm still tripping over these things. Um, they are everywhere in terms of, um, you know, left of the sidewalks, parked, uh, even upright, just in the middle of the sidewalk. Um, they're weaving in and out of the sidewalk. So, I mean, it, it is a clutter problem. Um, and it is a trip and fall hazard, um, from a disability perspective. I mean, I, I cannot imagine having to navigate, uh, the, the sidewalks and, and crossing the streets with these things whizzing around or being left um, you know, turned over. I, I just don't know how you can account for it. So um, I do think it's ultimately up to the uh, scooter companies to come up with better docking practices um, and whether that means um, you know, better technology, uh, more docks, or um, taking riding privileges away from people who leave the scooters um, in uh, you know, unsafe areas or areas of high congestion. Um, you know, I think those are all certainly options, but they, they need to be addressed because people, um, people's well-being depends on it. Yeah. And, and for anyone who, you know, might, who read the article, might think, oh, she's, you know, being kind of dramatic about, oh, it's frightening to see a scooter on the street. I mean, these are powerful machines and to a point that, I mean, we handled a case where a scooter severely injured some, a bicy- a bicyclist. So this is, they're no joke when they're coming at you. This isn't a kid's toy scooter. Um, and again, Brian, I mean, you represented someone who was hit by one. Yeah, no, we've, we've had several clients who were struck by scooters. We've had several clients who were injured on scooters. Um, like you said, these are not jokes. Um, they're heavy pieces of equipment. They go fast. Um, you know, it, we've had clients who got hit by cars that didn't see them because you know, the, frankly, the car didn't even know that they were there because the scooter, you know, rolled up so quickly behind them. Um, there's just all sorts of ways that these uh, scooters and, you know, can cause injuries to the riders, to others on the roadway. And, and as we're seeing in this article, pedestrians. So, um, you know, I, I like the idea of solving the last mile problem, you know, getting people from point A to point B in an efficient way. But we've got to do it in a smarter way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and speaking of a smarter way, uh, Ford's new focus on robots is about helping, not replacing drivers. So here we go. Bloomberg reported, quote, Ford Motor Company is forming a new unit to focus on semi- semi-autonomous features and is hiring about one quarter of the workers from its former full self-driving affiliate, Argo AI. Um, so basically... Ford and Volkswagen, you know, jettisoned Argo after determining determining it would take too long to realize a return on the billions they had already invested. Um, so basically, Argo's demise showed how attitudes about self-driving technology have swiftly changed. You know, this idea of free-range robo-taxis navigating congested cities is now seen as a distant dream or never. Um, so Ford says Latitude will focus on near-term uh, auto- automated technology that assists human drivers, but does not replace uh, replace them entirely with robots. Brian, we've um, I-, I feel like there's this snowball effect of every week we're seeing these articles about the pullback of autonomous vehicles, and now everyone's saying, okay, it's, we're not close to it, and now we're we're gonna switch gears. 
Yeah, I, I think that's really what we're seeing is that the technology just isn't there yet. Um, and I actually like what Ford's doing here in having a semi-autonomous vehicle. It, we're not billing it as you get to sit in the back seat with your feet up and watch a movie, but you know you, we're going to help assist the driving of the car to hopefully make it safer. Because I do think that there's a way in which the AI and the human driver can work together to create a much safer driving experience. I mean, I look at little basic safety features that have popped up over the the past few years, like, you know, uh, alerting you when you're uh, about to leave your lane of travel, you know, the steering wheel might vibrate. That is very helpful technology because sometimes you don't even know that you're straddling that line. If we can continue to build on technology like that, where the, the car can in a lot of ways drive itself to maintain lane positions, um, you know, stop immediately if there's a sudden stop in front of you. Um, but we also have the human driver to make judgment calls, which is a, a really important part of driving at, you know, in normal life. Um, I think we might have a much safer product out there and hopefully fewer accidents, fewer injuries and fewer fatalities. Yeah. And, and you're right. Those, those small little increments that we've been doing have, have helped a lot. Uh, and we, and over the decades, there's been a decrease in, in traffic collisions. So, all good stuff. And I agree. I, li- I like where they're going. Um, before we sign off, I'll definitely give you the, the last word here, Brian, to just kind of plug Legal Rideshare again. And, and uh, drivers out there who are listening, if you have any stories or any tips or advice you want us to talk about, certainly shoot us an email, help at LegalRideshare.com. But Brian, I'll give you the last word here. Yeah, just as always, uh, Legal Rideshare is here for anybody who has an accident or injury while on the job. Um, our consultations are always free. You can always reach us at LegalRideshare.com. Um, please do not hesitate to contact us um, if you've been involved in an accident, if you've been injured on the job. Um, we can help ensure that you get the compensation that you're entitled to, um, which means payment of medical bills, recovering your lost wages, your pain, your suffering, you name it. Um, so LegalRideshare.com, um, that's the best way to get in touch with us, and we are always available to help. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. And that is the end of the show. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.